What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Fox creeping forward. He pulls up. 18-footer. Aaron Fox puts the Kings on top. Makes one stage twice. Gives the belly. 35-foot three for the win. Nemanja Bialica. Yes, we deserve this win, man. When we're done, we can go chop it up, eat, golf, whatever you want to do. But 40, 48 minutes, I ain't about them games. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Bulls Podcast. My name is Brandon Nunez. Got Rich Ivanowski on here, as we always do. What's going on, Rich? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm a little bit nervous to give my first fully fleshed out big board tonight. We're going to be doing big boards, both of us, just through the first 15 players. But, um, you know, I'm not a draft expert. This is my first time, like, really trying to dig through tape and take my own notes. Um, and I feel like I'm going to be wrong about a lot of things. Definitely feel like that's just going to be part of this process for sure, and I think we picked a funky draft to be the first year that we get into it. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I have some players that, yeah, I mean, there's going to be multiple guys that end up busting out that we really like for whatever reason, and yeah, I mean, um, do you have... I, I guess how do you, how do you is there anything you want to do before we preface this or yeah so I'll just talk let's talk about our process making making our list because you know I don't think we're you know you just had PD Webb on in the last episode and uh, I'm sure his process is very very deep and and detail oriented and. Um, you know, I, he seems to be doing that. Um, it's like his number one thing is is thinking about prospect, draft prospects, working on draft prospects. What are you doing? I know you don't have all the time in the in the in the day to do that. Yeah, I mean we've we've dived into all the guys that are on my list here, um, doing our profiles, the episodes we posted on on KP here, and that was kind of the research I had done. And then since then, I mean, I think most days I find myself just somehow coming back to this and shifting it up a little bit one way or another. Um, I wish I could remember where I heard it from, but the way that I do my tiering is that anyone that is in, so I have a tier from four to 10, for example, and I think anybody in that tier, 
I could justify being picked at the top of that tier or above anyone else. Um, so I forget, again, where I heard that from, but I really like going about that way because it is just going to depend team to team for the most part um, at that point since I don't think there's clear like best player available 100% at those points. Um, so I, I did that a little bit with my tiering, and that helped me a lot just get my head straight a little bit here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've spent a good amount of time, you know, just trying to find some film of these guys, some good YouTube compilations, reading a lot of, of different peoples and various opinions that, you know, have certain guys they're extremely high on or low on and, and kind of justifying how I feel between them and, and definitely trying to realize my biases. Like, I think – my type of guy is very similar to Brian's from my understanding. Like, for example, like a Josh Green where it's like, okay, there's clear holes in his game that I need to make sure to not overlook just because, like, I'm in love with these defensive hounds and Josh Green super fits that. So I think that making sure I'm not, like, buying into my biases of what I really like to watch, which I probably still am guilty of and going to have to work out throughout the years. Um but, yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting process, and I, uh, I I don't know. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, my process is strange, I think, and I don't, I'm not sure anybody – I'm not sure anybody does this because I think it's a weird thing to do, but I'm very into spreadsheets, and I, I get – you know who probably does this is uh, uh, our boy Nate Miller. Um, he's got a lot of spreadsheets. Uh, Brett Huff likes a spreadsheet couple guys that have uh, a couple guys that have, have published spreadsheets out into the world um, but they're kind of their spreadsheets are often accumulation of just basic data I'm trying to build out my evaluations on spreadsheets so I'm putting I think I've shared this with you I'm putting like m- major skills down and I'm putting you know is this a strength is this a weakness are they elite in this area are they dreadful at this thing and I'm kind of trying to to put their whole game out there in one row and and then at the end of it I kind of give a, a uh, basically I, I, I type out in my notes who I think they would be at their best and I give that a numerical grade out of a hundred of of how good they can be at, at their best and uh, the same thing for at their worst, kind of doing a ceiling and a floor grade out of 100, and then also a median grade of, like, what's the most likely outcome? And it's not, you know, just split an average between those two numbers. It's kind of like looking at, say, say you play out their career 100 times in your head. You know, what's the 90th percentile outcome, the 50th percentile outcome, and the 10th percentile outcome? And and then I'm I'm accumulating those just with a formula – into an overall grade and it's turned into a list that I don't think I would have put together just based on my gut and based on watching tape necessarily. So I think there's going to be, I don't know, like, like this, I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, This is my first year doing like real, really trying to put together a board and and I don't know if this sort of robotic approach is going to make any sense you know, how are you dealing with that when, like, you're you're looking at two guys and you're like, they feel close. Are you going with just your gut? Are you going with kind of 
the importance of that player, like their role within a team? Are you going on, you know, how are you determining? I, I assume you're not robotically just putting in numbers into a machine. Yeah, I think that yours is really interesting, especially with the review process you're going to be able to do, like after this draft of, because like I think at the top, maybe not in this draft, but for the most part, I think you kind of have to value upside when you're talking like a top three, top five pick sort of thing. Um, Maybe not in this one again, but yeah, I mean, when it's close, definitely positional value, I think plays a lot into it, especially when you're looking at some guys that are possible centers here. Um, Like I, I think that shot creation off the dribble is extremely valuable or just creation in general is valuable. Um, So yeah, guys that are pretty close, there's definitely positional differences, um, I do have guys that, you know, I just have a little bit of a better feeling like that I like these guys. And again, maybe that's my own bias playing into it a little while because those do kind of tend to be the defensive guys, I'll admit. Um, so, yeah, I think that, again, like the tier I have, I could justify or I could understand any of them going above each other. But, yeah, a lot of it's positionally or what skill I think is probably more valuable um, and then just kind of if do I think that they will, you know, how much of their swing factor do I think they will actually be able to develop, which I'm guaranteed to get a couple of these wrong. It's going to be really interesting to me, uh, like the valuing upside versus valuing floor, I'm very torn on, and I think that's just one of the things that's going to take doing this for a couple of drafts and kind of getting a feel of, okay, this was a guy I thought had a really high floor. This is why it didn't work. Or this is the high ceiling that just completely um, only hit a super low floor at the same time. Um, so I've struggled with that a little bit. And I think that that one's just going to come with a little bit of time. Yeah. One thing I'll say for sure, I think that I'm, I put way more emphasis on a safe floor than the average person who's making a draft board. I think a lot of people in draft Twitter, uh, especially like if we're not, if you're talking about more amateur versus pro writers, I think a lot of people, their big board is, it's a really simple concept. It's like, you know, here, here are the players listed by, I think the best possible outcome of each player. I, I think, I think a lot of people do that pretty straightforwardly. And I'm really taking into account safety, which I'm not sure I should be doing. Yeah, I mean, in this draft, um, you know, again, it's a little difficult because, like, I just hear over and over that this draft sucks, but it's the first draft I've really done. So it's hard for me, like, okay, when I do a lot of, like, looking back at older um, draft profiles and seeing what previous guys looked like because, you know, what does a elite prospect really look like? Um, obviously, like, I would – scrape around a little bit in previous drafts but yeah and and then again I think like at the very top I think that the guys with just like extreme upside that's not it wouldn't take like 95th percentile to actually reach a say like five-time all-star or something like that um and that's probably generous at the top of this draft um but like I think that my top three is, I'll say, one tier, and I think that, like, I just really, you kind of have to value upside at the very top, I feel like. Yeah, you're you're probably right about that. I, I think you are right about that, and that's what I'm going to learn, you know, this after this year and probably over coming years as I alter my process 
is that, like, I one formula isn't going to work for everything. There, like, there's no way to, for in my current, the way I'm currently doing it, there's no way to account for that. Everyone's getting, like, an equal value of the ceiling and floor. Um, and that doesn't make any sense when you're looking at, say, pick 35 or, like, pick 45. It doesn't matter, like, the floor on that dude. Um, you're pretty much taking a swing on someone that you hope can be a contributor. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it works out, but this is how I'm, I'm rolling with it for now. Yeah, and I think, obviously, that what's going to translate and what won't translate is going to be something that's just going to take some time. Uh, yeah, we're, we're rookies to this, but like you said, I'm I'm glad we're doing it, and I'm ready to just kind of get into what I have here, man, if you are. Yeah, I feel really good about – well, I feel relatively good about my top 15, so I'm glad we're doing that right now. And as a Kings podcast, I think that – is an appropriate chunk to do because it's going to cover the guys that we, we would consider for the Kings at 12. So, um, yeah, uh, when you're ready, we can – you want to do – yeah, we got to do 1 to 15, um, yeah. not the reverse. Yeah, just to, like, show the fluidity of this, like, I literally can't help myself and, like, have moved a name since we've been talking, and it's it's ridiculous. But, okay, so – yeah, I mean, do you want to do, like, I say my one, you say your one, and we kind of move down the line that way? Or, like, I'll say my one is LaMelo Ball. Do you want to do, you know, you say where you have LaMelo, or how do you kind of feel like we should go about it? I think, yeah, we just go we, – we talk about our one, uh, our ones, talk about our twos. So we can alternate on who, who goes first or whatever, but I think we just got to go through – you give me your number one, and I react to that. I give you my number one. We react to that. Two, right. three, four, five, six. All right. Like I said, uh, number one here, I got LaMelo Ball, uh, one of the Ball brothers, obviously, playing in the NBL. And for me, I, I think it's the highest ceiling guy in this draft. Um, it's right up there with Anthony Edwards. But I think that LaMelo is the guy that, I mean, he probably has the most elite skill in this draft class, being his passing, and his handle is up there as well. Um, I think that he is the guy that I could see potentially actually being like an engine of an offense. And I don't feel great about that moving forward. Like, there's clear holes, and um, some of some of the time he obviously is a little too flashy or uh, feels too good about what he's working with there, but... Yeah, I mean, he's the guy that I was able to convince myself, okay, I could see him eventually being the sole focal point of an offense. And it probably wouldn't be a great offense, but maybe he could get around to that. Um, so I, I talked myself into being LaMelo being the highest uh, probable ceiling, and that's why I put him one here. Again, like I said, I really valued the ceiling at the top here. Yeah, I like it. I think it's probably – Close to consensus. Um, definitely, he's a consensus top two guy. Yeah, pro- probably one. Um, where I have him might surprise you a little bit, and you'll find that in just a minute. But um, for me, he had the second highest ceiling grade, and the guy that I put number one will also definitely surprise you. But uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you with everything you're saying. He can be the engine of at least the the 
the primary playmaker of a good team, I think, is is possible. I I'm worried. I'm very worried. His floor to me is really low. Um, I am worried about how wonky some of the stuff he does is. Some people love the fact that he does these weird 20-foot floaters. I'm not particularly in love with that. I worry about his ability to score at a high level in the NBA. Um, So as far as, like, true ceiling, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be, like, I I don't know what, you know, the best pass-first point guard is is a very, very high ceiling, but I'm not sure it's, like, the complete, like, Grand Slam type of player, like, just going to completely knock it out of the park and be a consistent all-NBA type of guy. But I do, just in my notes, have that at his, at his ceiling, I think he could scratch his way into, like, a third-team all-NBA. Um, and I think, he, I think he could be the best passer in the league if everything all works out for him. Yeah, and you know, to his, the point of like him him scoring, which obviously is a concern. I mean, the playmaking, a lot of it could be really hindered if if you're not a scoring threat yourself, attempting to do the playmaking. And I do like the floaters a little more than you do. Um, I think that you know he it, he does display really good touch with them. It's a it's obviously non traditional, um, but I, I don't hate them. I don't think they're a great shot either. And then in regards to his three-point shooting, uh, by the way, looking at his field goal percentage again, 37% is, whew. Um, but yeah, 25. In, in Australia. Yeah, that's that's horrible. Um, but yeah, I, so in 25% from three, the number that kind of gets me is that 6.7 attempts per game. I think that he doesn't have to get a crazy respectable shot to – you know, have a, and have, as long as there's like a decent volume to it on a like below average, slightly below average percentage, I think he's going to have some gravity to him. And I think that he has the confidence to him where he's going to shoot that at very least. Um, and we'll see if that is for the better or worse in the long term. Um, but I, I do think that that, I, I like that, that confidence that he has is, is what he's going to need because he is a little bit of like a boomer bust in a way, you know, like the bust being probably like a backup point guard in the league. I think he is very much boomer bust. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, in this draft, like almost everybody is. So I don't know what you can really do about that. Yeah. Um, probably comes down to gut there on how you feel about LaMelo. I will give you my number one. Um, that is Anthony Edwards. What really has continually jumped off the off the tape, off the page, everything, and everything that I've read about him, all the notes that I've made about him, he's just such a phenomenal athlete. Um, he's such a phenomenal athlete where I don't mind that being the thing that the uh, differentiator I think I would prefer if it was a skill like passing like for LaMelo but I don't mind it Um, there are certainly great athletes that have failed in the league but you're really setting yourself up for a good chance if you are a 
you know, if you are significantly stronger, faster, and more explosive than your peers, and you, and I think that he has a chance to be that even in the NBA, um, moving from the moving from college the college game to the NBA, I still think he'll be a physical force. I think that really puts him in a good place to start. And from there, you know, I, I think he has some nice skills as well. The defense is always going to be predicated on his effort and engagement, which I've heard plenty of questions about. And that's really hard for me to evaluate as someone who's, you know, not seen him in a practice or talked to his coaches, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, he's a decent finisher. He's got a decent handle, like an okay passer for a guy that's going to be off ball most of the time, probably. Um, you know, I, I I don't love his – I really don't like his off ball stuff because he's never – but, we ne- you know, we've never seen him off ball. Um, like, we never tried to see him in a functional offense. So he's just been the engine of a pretty bad Georgia team all season. Uh, and, and I think actually, like, in, in the long run, I think his – floor is actually safer than people give him credit for and that's probably why I'm putting him over guys like Ball but you know if if his shooting comes around and he definitely can get up a lot of attempts and if his effort comes around you know I think he's got uh, defensive skills you know that can pair with the elite physicality to to make a uh, yeah I think he can be an engine of a team so that's why I've got him number one. Yeah I have Edwards here sitting at two and yeah, I mean, throughout the day, I kind of flip-flop between these guys. Um, the athleticism, like you talked about, is absolutely ridiculous. Like, just for fun, I went back and watched, like, a bunch of highlights of these guys today because normally I don't really watch highlights. Um, and, wow, like, Edwards floats through the air. It, it's actually insane. His first step is ridiculous that he has on him. Um, and to the point of your floor, like, I've been thinking that, you know, you hear, like, a Andrew Wiggins comp, which – you know, there obviously there are size differences um, and things like that, but I feel like this guy is going to occasionally be able to have games, at very least, that he's hitting these ridiculously tough shots, even if it's not something you want him taking night to night. And, like, as much as I don't like Andrew Wiggins as a player, there is a decent value in what he does. Again, a lot of it, like, comes back to his effort. So I, I just, yeah, I mean, like, Andrew Wiggins is not a very impactful NBA player at the highest level, I don't think. But, I mean, there's value in being, what, a at least like 15-point-per-game scorer. And I think that I could say with a little bit of confidence that Edwards will do that, even if it's not the most efficient. Um, so I've kind of come around the same as you where I think his floor is probably a little better than people give it credit for. That's also comparatively to like a LaMelo. Um and his off-ball stuff, like, I, I like the cutting that we saw from him just because he's so explosive and athletic, and I would hope that he'll get a little bit more chance of a show that, to show that off at the next level. Um, so, yeah, I'm totally with you here. I, I like Edwards as the second one, and for what it's worth, I, I'm really – I think that it's probably who Minnesota goes with, even though I guess I could see him going LaMelo. Um, but, again, yeah, those two guys are same tier with one other one I have here. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't – I could definitely understand Minnesota preferring Edwards over Ball. Yeah. Um, I think the ceiling difference between him and 
Lamelo. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. The the ceiling difference isn't massive in my opinion, and the floor difference is. So I think that's kind of why I've I've ended up leaning Edwards here. Um, and yeah, you'll be interested to know. First of all, we're going to talk about. We'll just mention tier, like the ends of tiers as well. Um, I actually do have Anthony Edwards in a tier of his own at number one. So wow. Okay. Just want to get that out there. Yeah. Okay. So what's the and it's that floor drop off. Yeah. So like you, I think you hit it right on the head. I've talked. I've had this specific revelation myself, where like, you know. Worst case scenario, he's like a slightly smaller Wiggins, and like honestly, that's not a disaster. Um, but the worst case scenario for Lamelo, I think, is like this super strange, untraditional guy that doesn't have good form, maybe never develops it, has a crazy ego, has a crazy family. Yeah. Um, you know, like could legitimately be uncoachable, and I don't want to. Like, I'm really talking about worst-case scenario. I, I don't know him or his coach. Like, I've never heard this, right? But just the way that he comes off and, like, the strange nature of his game, I think he could just be this super incredible highlight reel passer that just doesn't pan out in any other ways. I, I think it's possible. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may still be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees with their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on the way. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download DoorDash in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. The last guy I have in my well, team. Well, hold on, because I haven't given you my number two, because it's not Lamelo. Oh, oh, okay. So, it, I mean, this is going to be the first surprise probably of this list, but it's not Lamelo Ball. Um, I have Lamelo three, uh, but number two, um, hot take and coming. I have Devin Vassell at number two. I knew this was coming at some point. Okay. Yeah, I'll just give you a brief spiel and, and get your action. I mean, I think that he is a prototypical 3 and D small forward, you know, maybe a little, little small compared to the average small forward, but really not by much. People want to act like every small forward is like 6'9", the 7-foot wingspan. That's really not the case. Um, he's a typical 3, like a prototypical 3 and D wing that could absolutely add more to that. So as a ceiling, it's, you know, it's 3 and D plus. I think he could, you know, push into... I mean, he's. I think he's a solid decision maker, decent passer. I think he could be the third best player on a, a very good team. So um, there's just not much weaknesses here. I'm definitely showing my preference for a safe 
floor, but I just think with with what you want out of basketball players in 2020, I think he can really give you that. I think he can be Jason Tatum light, and I, I mean an emphasis on the light, but that type of dude. Oh yeah, um, I I think that yeah, I mean he is to me like an elite role player. And I think that that's extremely valuable. And I don't think picking him at, yeah, yeah like, I mean, the Warriors actually, I, like, I could see it, you know? I, I mean, I think they'd trade the pick or whatever. But, like, I don't think that taking him at two is something that you end up regretting in this draft. Um, I, I So I see where you're coming from there. Again, like, I just tend to think that when you're in that top three or like guys that to me just have a really high feasible upside I'm putting in this uh, top tier so I see where you're coming from and I'll say Vassell is my top of tier two Um, so I'm actually not that far off from you here Um, it's a little surprising over LaMelo I, I I see where you're coming from though valuing the floor there and, yeah, I mean, an elite role player is extremely valuable in this league. Um, are you buying a little bit of, like, creation? Because I think where – Yeah, I, I, I was just going to say, like, I regret even saying Jason Tatum at all, even though I was trying to couch that with light by saying that he's not going to be the creator. But what I mean is, like, think of rookie year, second year Jason Tatum, like that type of player who – can knock it down from range at an incredible rate, isn't setting up the play, but can finish it and can defend the hell out of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's yeah, I don't think it's all that far off. I think that I yeah, it sounds similar to you. I think, but I, I definitely am questionable on if Vassell will be able to create for himself. He does have an extremely nice high release, and I think like attacking a closeout one dribble or something like that. Um, and that's where I kind of keep him as a role player more than likely. But, again, I think that he's going to be extremely valuable in this league. He's probably going to end up one of my favorite players in this league for a little while. I, I would definitely not be surprised by that. Um, so I, I knew you were coming with this at some point. You've been, you've been very high on Vassell, understandably. Um, so, yeah, so that's uh, – there are more people in Tier 2, yeah? I, I just think that there's – no, my Tier 2 is Lamelo and Vassell. Okay. Vassell and Lamelo. And so Lamelo's three. Lamelo's three for me. So we can get to your three, three in just a second. But I will say just my final thoughts on this to kind of – I know it's a hot take. I know I'm going out of the norm, and I know I could be wrong. But this to me came down to this conception of what's more valuable, like, at the end of the day. Is it a player – like, what would you rather have? A guy that you feel really good about being a positive piece – starter level guy that is like definitely can contribute to winning basketball versus a guy that like, yeah, maybe he could be one of your two best players on maybe not a great team or he could just completely flame out. So I I know I'm going conservative here, but that's at the end of the day, I just feel like I have to care that there is a chance that LaMelo just is not what we think. Yeah, I think that's that's totally reasonable. And to get into who I have, tier three or in uh, third here, my last one of tier one, I have Killian Hayes. Um, you know, I will say PD came on here and said his top three was Lamelo Edwards and Hayes. For a little while, I had Lamelo and Edwards, just the two. And since he said that, I really 
kind of dived into Hayes a bit more. I know a lot of people have been high on Hayes. I believe Kevin O'Connor of the Ringer has Hayes number one. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's it's the really the feel that Killian has um, and just a great, like, basketball IQ to him. I, I really like the playmaking that you're getting from him, his creation off the dribble while his three didn't uh, knock it down at an amazing rate. I think he does a great job of creating space for himself. And while it's not on great volume, I do really like his free throw percentage. It was 84% throughout uh, – three years I have internationally and again it's only 75 attempts total but you know for example last season again only 22 attempts but he knocked down 20 of them like it it gives me some faith in the three-point shot that you're working with here Um, and I think that yeah this is a guy that I could really see being comfortable with as a top option in your offense Um, again, I really like the playmaking that he is able to do for others. And a lot of it is the creating the space that he's very successful at. And I I like the weight that he has on him. He's a really, uh, smart defender and and he defends extremely tough. Um, so yeah, I, I've talked myself into Killian joining this top tier here. I like that. I like that if, if I hadn't done this weird grading system, I think I probably would have him there as well, and I probably wouldn't have had Vassell push up this high and someone else that is in my top four ahead of of Hayes, but I like where you're coming from. Completely respect it. I think that it's justified. My only questions about him, how do you feel about his athleticism? And I know that he's able to create space despite it, but are you concerned at all about his athleticism? Yeah, this is where it's hard for me. Um, Like, what guys in the league, I guess, are, like, below average athletes? Like, I mean, it's probably lazy because it's the left-hander, but, like, you think of D'Lo, who I don't don't love D'Lo, and I would say that I think that, you know, again, like, the feel that Killian has, the playmaking that he has, I I value over D'Lo, but I think that you can still be – pretty successful again that's why I don't think he's a ceiling the level of baller Edwards but I think his floor is extremely higher than those guys and a lot of that probably does have to do with that athleticism so I think where it mainly hurts him is probably his ultimate ceiling I mean one guy that we can talk about is Luca you know straight up I mean he was especially coming from Europe he was a guy that like well he's doughy uh well he's like not got top acceleration and top burst um, leaping and, and like, straight line speed. But then he makes up for it with his size, which Hayes has as well for his position, like a very big, strong dude. Um, And then he definitely makes up for it, completely makes up for it, and then some with his shiftiness, right? And those are the comps that I hear at times for Hayes. Guys like that, so Luca and James Harden, guys that can – kill you with the step back like they yeah they're not like the best burst guys but they get you off balance and then they step back and they splash it and you know what I mean like right so I I can see how he could overcome that um but I also think that those guys are on such a level above him that I'm not confident in his ability to overcome it I think that's totally fair um yeah, again, I, I like the floor of Hayes, and yeah, a little bit, I mean, like, 
Luca's obviously taller than him, and, and if you know if Hayes had two more inches on him, I think he'd probably be sitting higher here. Um, but yeah, I, I feel confident that he's going to be successful at the next level. That whatever team takes him is is going to feel good about it. And yeah, I, I think that he plays hard. He really gives a lot of effort on the defensive end as well. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned a step back. Like I, I love Hayes' step back, and it's really interesting. I remember when we both did. Um, our profile of Hayes, it was, wow, I fell in love with this guy. And then it was like, eh, actually, there's some aspects like he literally does not have a right hand where, you know, I could see where you feel skeptical. But, like, the parts that are good for Hayes are just so, like, it's it's tantalizing to watch. And I think that he has a high floor to him. He's going to be a good player in this league. I think you're right. I like the floor. I'm tantalized as well. It's, his highlights are amazing. Um, it's just a question of it's a question of like understanding the difference of the level that Luca was on and the level that guys like James Harden have been able to accomplish, and then thinking like, okay, is it is this type of growth realistic? He is young. He is exciting. Um, but, you know, going to a league that is much more athletic, like, is he just going to get swallowed up? I, yeah. So I he's strong, at least. Like, I think his build is good. I think there's not, like, that bounce or amazing first step to him, um, but the shiftiness combined with the strength, I think, will do a lot for him. Yeah, I hope so as well. Um, do you see him as a guy that that could be alongside a point guard, like a – are you seeing him as, like, your point? Are you seeing him as, as kind of a combo or a guy can play shooting guard? Yeah, I've seen a lot of people saying that he thinks – they think he could play the two. I don't I don't know. Like, I want him at, with the ball in his hands. I think, you know, one of the primary things I like from him is his playmaking and his pick-and-roll game is just amazing. I think that – like, I guess you could do it. I think defensively he could guard twos, but – and maybe this is just wrong uh, to say to Kings fans, but, like, I don't think you really want to take the ball out of his hands. Like, I don't yeah. feel great about a catch-and-shoot from Hayes. So, yeah. I mean, to me, like, he's a point. And it's been interesting to me to hear people say, like, that he could play it too. Like, I don't think him and Fox work together. Yeah. No, I don't disagree. Um, I have his position down as, like, just simply point guard. Um, and it's because, like, it, it would only work if you have, like, a, a kind of unique gunner type at, point, at like, point if you're playing Killian at two. Like, I don't know. Like, if you have, like, Tyrell Terry, like, just looking down my list of guys. like I yeah. thought of the same name. Yeah. Like, so, like, maybe that. But anyway, um, I keep moving along here. So I got another really, really That's hot. my tier, by the way. Okay. Three right there. That's, a, that's tier one. Yeah. Those are the guys that I, I would not be surprised to be all star multiple time all stars in the league. Gotcha. So I mean, I probably both, would be a little surprised, but I could see it. We both just finished our t- a tier. I finished my tier two. You finished tier one. Um, so my number four is another take that no one's gonna like. No one will like this. I don't like it. I'm looking at it and I, I I'm not gonna fudge my numbers this is this is who I have it for and uh anyway all of draft twitter is gonna just destroy me for this but um I have Obi Toppin number four um just uh, some brief thoughts 
Yep. I mean, like, again, I'm showing my tendency for a floor, right? Um, his defense is genuinely bad. I don't have any real belief that he can become a good or even average defender. I think he's going to be a below average defender, period. However, I think he's legitimately, right now, the best player in this draft class. I think that he was um, the best player in college basketball this year. I think that he is such an explosive – like, talk about athleticism. Not – you know, I would say just a step down from Anthony Edwards, but not a huge step down. He is such an insanely explosive dunker. And you can combine that with, as a big man, having a legitimate three-point shot is a big deal. The fact that he's he, he's going to be consistent shooting the ball as well um, as uh, scoring around the basket, like, that's a very big deal. And so while I get the, the primary reason, I think, that everyone is down on him, one is the age. He probably doesn't have nearly as, as much growing to do as, for example, the guy I have right behind him, Killian Hayes, who's much younger, I think almost three years younger. Um, that actually comes with some certainty, right? Like, yeah, he doesn't have as much to grow as Hayes, but he doesn't he, he doesn't have as much room to grow as Hayes, but he also doesn't need to grow as much as Hayes. Like, he's a pretty well-developed player right now. I think he could contribute to a very good team right now. And, yeah, he can still get better. He will still get better. Um I think he's such a dynamic offensive weapon. And here's like here's what really kind of sold it for me that got him up to four. If you were to name the 25 best players in basketball, um, how many of them would you say are below average defenders? I mean, probably a third of them, you know, if not more. I think it's more like two-thirds. Okay, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. And I'm not saying that Obi is going to be a top 25 player. Like, let's be a little more realistic to say top, like, 60 player. I think you could genuinely say, like, okay, 30 of these 60 players actually are not good. I'm saying there's all-stars every year. There are 10 all-stars that are not good defenders. Yeah, well, so to me, like, Toby's uh, – Toby. Obi's going to be a terrible defender, though. Like, what I keep coming back to with Toppin – is that I think that he will actually just get played off the floor in a playoff series. And that's where I'm struggling because I think that he actually is going to be a sh- extremely productive regular season player. But when he gets to the playoffs and teams just focus on him every single possession, I don't think he's going to be able to do anything about it. Like I think he's going to get destroyed when teams just go at him over and over. So this is like my struggle with Toppin that I think when it comes to a playoff series, that that's where he's really going to get exposed. And, I mean, that's kind of the most valuable – I mean, it's the most valuable games you're going to be playing. A lot of these teams picking at the bottom, you know, are just trying to get wins. And I think that Toppin's going to be really successful in the regular season. But it's just like the defense to me is so horrible, and I really don't know how you make him work. Um, and, yeah, again, I just keep coming back to it. In a playoff series, I think Toppin gets destroyed. That's fine, and to be honest with you, I don't even need him to be a like a, a guy you need on the floor in a playoff series. Like if he is um, an electric sixth, sixth or seventh man for uh, like like a, a good team, he's probably better than you know all but 
all but five players in this draft. So, like, in terms of that as a floor, that's actually fine. I, I think if he's, like, a, a, a complete spark plug energy big man that can come in and score in bunches, I think that's actually acceptable. And I also think that his position, he's not the anchor of your defense. He's, You know what I mean? Like, he's a four, like a stretch four. Like, if you're a good coach, you find a way to not have that guy exploited all the time. Um, he's not having to guard at point of attack. He's not having to anchor, um, play the center. Like, generally speaking, you can just put him on your on the uh, opposing team's worst player, and yeah, they can try to like hunt switches and stuff. But if you're a good coach and you have a good team, you can generally hide one bad defender. So um, it would and like I think it happens all the time. I, I haven't gone through and like looked at. I should have gone and looked at like um, all star selections for the last few years, but I think that there are players every bit as bad as he's going to be on defense on all star teams. And, by the way, I don't expect him to be an all-star. But I'm saying, like, I think that right. that's why the theory of him is totally fine. Yeah, you have a good point. And, again, you know, a lot of it probably comes back to this just being a below-average draft class and, you know, different expectations than you would normally have for a guy you're taking. This is four, right? Yeah, he's my four. Yeah. Um, so I see where you're coming from there, and, and he's in this next tier where, again, you know, I, I could justify him going up to that four spot, even though I do have him – a substantial bit lower um, who I have it for here and I wouldn't be too surprised to hear you say his name in a little while here since it seems to be you valuing floor I have Onyeka Okongwu to me this is or no I'm sorry I have Devin Vassell this is the swap that I said I made a little earlier this is where I have Vassell um, I think you know we, we've touched on him a lot it's an elite role player that you're getting, a, and especially at the 3-and-D role. Like you said, I wish he had some more size to him, and then I would really feel comfortable with saying he could be the third guy on a team. I don't know if I'm quite there yet, but I think that, yeah, I mean, he's going to be an extremely valuable piece to a good team um, pretty much right out the gate. I don't know if there's all too much more to get into with Vassell there. Um, are you okay if I move to five? I kind of outed myself with its own Yekka. Yeah, I'll just say that I think I'll just note that both of us, your top three are in my top five, and my top three are in your top five. So there's okay. I'll just point out that like we at least have the consensus top four of Edwards, Ball, Vassell, and Hayes. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, I'm glad that we have that there, and I think understandably. And then yeah, Onyeka sitting there at five. To me, I think that he's going to come into the league and already be a better than average starting center. I think that, you know, he's going to – there will be a little bit of a learning curve, but, like, the defense of Okongwu, and I just really value switchability. Um, I I think that he's an extremely talented player at that, and I don't worry about the size as much as I maybe did earlier being – I don't have it in front of me. I believe it's 6'8". Uh, pulling it up real quick. 6'9 is what the ringer has him listed at here. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that's too much of a problem in today's NBA. I think he's got some strength to him. He gets off the floor extremely quick to block shots. I think he's going to be one of the uh, better rim protectors in the league pretty quickly, and I think that does a lot for me there. And I don't know how much I buy that you know he'll get a shot eventually, which obviously would do wonders for him. But... I think that, you know, could he be a a player impact level of like a 
Clint Capella out the gate, which isn't great, but in this draft, like, I think there's good value in that. Um, so, yeah, I really like the defense that Onyek is getting you. I think having an anchor as your center um, is extremely valuable. It's a guy that I really like for the Kings as well. But, again, this is one that it doesn't have that much upside to him. I just have a lot of, a lot of confidence he's going to come into the NBA and be able to play some pretty good defense out the gate with obviously a little bit of a learning curve like any you know teenager, 20-year-old coming into the league. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is really all revolving around the defensive end for me, and I think that he does some intangibles that I'll like on the offensive end with a little bit of passing, uh, nothing all too amazing there. But, you know, I think he does a good job getting boards and putting them back up. He's efficient. He's a great finisher around the rim with both hands. So there's enough on offense, and I just love the defense. I think Onyeka is going to come in and be a pretty good center out the gate. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. First of all, I'll just say I have him six. So um, he he would have been the next guy that I mentioned as well, considering that I had Hayes at five. So let's dig into him for a second here. I I'm kind of with you, but it's interesting because the the concern I have about him is uh, not something I heard you mention. So okay, well two things that I didn't hear you mention. I, I, he's probably, he, I think he has the narrowest ceiling and floor. Like, they're the closest together of any prospect here. Um, I think he's got a very safe floor. I think he's going to come in being a solid center. I don't think there's any way he comes in as good as Clint Capella, to be honest with you. I don't think he walks in day one and as good as even, like, Rashawn Holmes. I think, like, that's, that's kind of like whatever you'd say, like, you know, average NBA center. I I don't think that happens. I think that he's got a lot of learning to do. I think he's got a lot of adjusting to uh, NBA um, uh, like offensive NBA talent. Um, it's just a big adjustment from guys in the Pac-12 to you know guys in the NBA, guys on the guys on the best teams in the world. You know, I I don't know. I think he's got some work to do there. Um, he played kind of power forward a lot, which was odd, right? Like playing alongside a true center. I wonder if his numbers, like his, his ability to block shots was inflated a little bit by defending smaller guys. I think his rebounding was probably deflated by that, right? So anyway, I, I like him. My concerns are twofold. One, I don't buy the shot. I do not buy, like I, I, I hope and I believe that it's possible that he could become a decent stretch option from like a little bit of range or a pick and pop guy possibly. But generally speaking, that's not you can't just count on that with, with Yeka. You can't just say this guy's gonna have that stretch ability. So he's gotta be great on defense and he's gotta be 
you know, really, really good at the traditional things if he's going to be a not stretchy dude and a 6'9 center. It's, I don't feel like it's as safe as you. I think he'd probably come in more like the 30th best NBA center or 25th rather than like the 15th or something like that. But my real concern with him is I don't see how, like, I, that, that, for me, I have Clint Capella is his ceiling. I don't see, how does he get better than that? I think that I like the, again, the switchability of Onyeka. I think that is really just going to be great for him. And I like the the touch of Onyeka a lot. Um, Like you see, like the push shot from Holmes, really allowing a little bit of spacing where teams just can't, like somewhat, you know. I think that that does a little bit for him there. Uh, You're right, I'm probably saying that he's coming in a little too high. I think that... Um, I, I do feel good about it, though. Like, I think, like, by the All-Star break, say, his rookie year, that he's, you know, a, 20, a 20th center in the league, something like that. Um, and, again, yeah, I mean, what is the value of the 20th best center in the league? I don't really know. Um, I, I think that he's better than Capella just defensively. Like, I, I like – I think that he gets off the floor quicker than Capella. I really like his timing – um, he was a little jumpy at USC at times, but yeah, I think I want to just hammer that. Like every everything I've read about him has questioned his timing and like his his. I mean, I know you're gonna grow into that. You're gonna get older, but I don't think he's like a perfect defender out the box. Yeah, I mean, I think he. Yeah, I think he's a little jumpy, but I do like his. Actually, I will say, yeah, you're probably like the timing is not what does it. It's just the fact that he gets off the floor so quick. Um, that he can react to somebody putting it up rather than, yeah, timing it correctly. Um, but I think that makes up for it a little bit. You're right that that's some cause for concern here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that this is a guy that could be a starting center on a championship team. And how how switchy is he really? Like, is he gonna is he going to guard wings? Because, like, most teams, good teams, have – like a, a wing playing the four, is he going to guard those dudes? Yeah, I think he is. I mean, I don't think that's your primary assignment for him, but if he gets switched on to him for a couple possessions, that um, I, I think that you're okay with that. Um, yeah, I, I think that I, I think he could do that, yeah. Again, it's not the primary assignment, but. Yeah, I'm just lower on him in general, I guess. Like, I, I'm, I shouldn't be – quibbling with it much because I do have him six, but I just I, – I have fallen out of love with him recently, I'll say. So, and, and also what, one thing you mentioned that is really astute and really worth discussing is how valuable is, like, a league average starting point guard anyway. Like, not, right? I mean, it's – center, yeah. I mean, those guys we've seen just get traded for nothing, right? I mean, Capella – we're talking about Capella as an example, just, like, his salary gets dumped, basically. Like, it's fine to have him on a rookie. It's great to have him on a rookie deal. And it's fine to have him on, like, a small deal after that. But I don't know if that's more valuable than um, – I don't know, a guy like Obi Toppin who is just automatic offense. And, yeah, maybe you got to sub him off in, in, in playoff matchups. But a guy that is just explosive offense, good shooter, score from anywhere on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, they might be more comparable than I'm than I'm saying here. And again, this is probably me just outing myself that I just really value defense and especially switchability from centers. Like this is why 
I find myself um, interested in precious more than most because I just really like switchability from centers and maybe this is just me watching a little bit of too much Celtics. Um, but yeah, I think that I like the Capella example again, like it was a little bit of a schematic thing. Like I think Capella did a decent job being a starting center for a playoff team for a good little stretch there. Um, so yeah, I see where you're coming. And again, I have it the same tier as Toppin, so I could understand, I could justify Toppin over on Yeka just personally. Um, I, I probably, and again, it's probably me just valuing defense and really liking those guys more. I get that. And I'm always going to be offense is more important type of guy that you can find defense um, a little bit more easily. To be fair, the offensive guys get paid more. Yeah. Um, so give me your sixth because we, I get, I've gone through Edwards, Vassell, Ball, Toppin, Hayes, and Kongwu. I think you've only gone through five because you have, you do not have Toppin uh, so far listed. I do not, yeah. Six is uh, a guy I don't think you like. I have, uh, it's probably not going to be too surprising to you. I have, I have Isaac Okoro. Um, obvious concerns with the shooting, and, you know, that shows in the free throw percentage as well. He didn't shoot many threes, but it, it's an intangible thing to me. Um, I, you know, obviously the defense is there. I think that he's a guy that actually, like, I don't know how far off his athleticism is. Like, it's it's below Edwards, but by how much? Like, Okoro's a ridiculous athlete. Um, he's insanely strong. He has great finishing around the rim and through contact. I think that um, he, with how strong he is, he's even going to be able to go through some of these NBA guys or at least, you know, take that contact and finish, finish through it. Um, I do really like the playmaking that you're getting from him where I don't think that he's just – a zero on offense, even if the shot doesn't come around, it would be a rough outcome for him. Um, but to me, this is buying the ceiling. Um, and I, like I said, I, I like the floor probably a little bit more than I'm guessing you do um, because like that playmaking to me, I do really value. Um, I, but yeah, like if, if he can get to just a slightly respectable three-point shooter, I think that Okoro could... Like, I, I think he could end up better than Devin Vassell. I think that the defense of Okoro is phenomenal. Again, I think he's a ridiculous athlete. Um, so, yeah, I'm. It, it's a lot to ask, but if this three-point shot can get even, you know, a below-respectable level, um, then I think that he really does end up one of the better players in this draft class. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to have just so many takes. Like, I just realized, like, I'm so far off the consensus on so much stuff, but you're going to be stunned how low I have a Coro. I'm not even going to tell you. We'll, we'll get to it eventually <laughs> near the end of the podcast, quite frankly. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Like, I just think that the intangibles are great. And, like, when, you know, inventing stuff, that could happen is great, um, and I do that myself sometimes. But I mean, he's a very, very poor shooter. I think his shot could be close to broken or unsalvageable. Um, of course, like guys have figured it out before, but I think we went through this kind of with some uh, Kings Herald guys, and it's like if you look at you know any wing that that doesn't shoot, it's 
the the record is poor. Like it doesn't go well. If you just look at history, there's a few guys. Yeah. Uh, Bryant West has an amazing example of uh, of uh, Andre Iguodala, and that's it. That's I think that's the full list of wings that can't shoot and were really good in the NBA. I I'm sure there's like a few more, but like right, it's not good. <laughs> I just think that yeah, I, I think that. I like his floor a little more than you do also. Again, the playmaking, and I think that I think he's a four. Um, he's a little small. He's a little small for that, I guess, at 6'9", but it's kind of what the NBA is trending towards. I think six, they, six, 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 nine wingspan. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm reading that a little wrong here. Um, but That's yeah, I mean, small. I just want to point that out. Like, that's very small for yeah, the a four. Yeah, for, like, an elite defender, too, is what he's kind of uh, yeah. preached as. Yeah, it, it's... I still think, you know, you could get away with a little bit of a 3-4 here. And, like, I think that, again, the playmaking with the ball in his hands, and I think that he could be the role man and does a decent job of in, like, a short role of I, I really like his decision-making. And I'll admit this is the guy I liked watching his film the most. Um, it, it's just a player I fell for. And, you know, probably I've heard guys talking about a guy they really want to like. I'm probably very guilty of that with Okoro. Um so, yeah, I'll admit that there, but I do think that he has an offensive role, even if the shot doesn't come around. He would be a negative on that end, but I'm buying the athleticism, the finishing. I like his playmaking. I think he just does a – I'm trusting that he's just going to find a way to be impactful out there because from what I've seen, like, he just does that, – that's, that's what he does. So that's what he does in college, and a lot of people do that in college and don't do that in the NBA. That's fair. Um, but, like, so I like uh, someone I know on Twitter was saying, like, I just – they said, I see Okoro as a guy that just figures it out. I think he can shoot 40% from three in the NBA. And I'm like, based on what? And he's like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, that, that's what scares me, like, right. based on what? And, and I know that happens. Like, certain guys, they have unprojectable growth. Like, they have growth that – we didn't see coming, like, and there's gonna guys will do that in this draft class, like, and we will be so wrong about them. Guys that we did not have in this conversation at all will do that, and it will pop up and be one of the five or ten best players in the class. Um, but it's you can't, we can't sit here and be like, this is uh, reasonable to expect. Um, so, do you see him as such a good pass that he can be the primary ball handler, playmaker for a team? No, I don't think primary, but I actually think he could be the secondary one, and part of that is paired with, like, a really good first step, and I really like his finishing. So second or third best playmaker in a lineup and almost a non-shooter or, like, maybe a barely functional shooter, that's not good. He So he shouldn't have the ball in his hands all that often, and he also can't shouldn't like be spacing. What is he doing? He's six six. He can't be by the basket. Uh, like is, if unless he is just running constantly off screens and driving and kicking. Like I I don't know if that's a starting level player. I just don't know. I think that if he can scrape like a bottom tier starting level offensive player that I mean like obviously the the value's in the defense here and again uh, it's the switchability and I'm realizing that that's probably my weakness here um but you know you saw him 
on point guards uh, throughout the year. And then at the same time, I think that you can get away with minutes of him switching on to a four in the modern NBA. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, again, I mean, a lot of, obviously the value of Okoro is on the defensive end. And I think that it just takes a little bit of something working again, like on the offensive end for him to be a below average or like a low end starting offensive wing um, for that defense to be worth it here. And ceiling is Michael K. Gilchrist. <laughs> I mean, sorry, floor, floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but, like, I agree with you. Like, I, as far as what you said, that's exactly what I, I, I have as a ceiling. If you like, transition, like, that's well, small you offense. Can't build, you, know? you can't build a team around, like... Right. I don't know. You can't... I don't... I just don't... It's like these... It's like in these rare scenarios or semi-rare scenarios... He's great, but generally he's like basically non non-functional offensively, um, and yeah, like so I, I don't know. I have him as you know ceiling best defender in his in his draft class, and like just functional enough on offense, which I just don't love. It's just it's very low. I'm low on him, so I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, if you're comfortable with that, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. I'll say that I I think that wing defense in this league is is really valuable. I think you can get it from Dequan Jeffries. I, just finding out on a two words. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, my number seven is uh, a guy that I I think that we might both be kind of high on. So maybe we can get back to me not screaming at you for uh, not agreeing with me or whatever. But um, I have Tyrese Halliburton number seven. Um, I think that I have genuinely serious concern. We just went from, like, the strongest player in this draft class to the weakest player. He is a twig. He is so small and so slight. I really am scared about his ability to get to the free throw line, to get pushed around. But outside of that, like, honestly, I love everything. I love his defensive instincts. If he can just stay on his feet and, like, hold up against players, then he's going to be great. Love the off-ball stuff. Uh, love his passing, love his sh- – I mean, I hate the way his shot looks, but it goes in, so I'll take that. You know, I'm just going to take that. Um, what, 99th percentile catch-and-shoot guy? I think he can be a legit combo guard. Um, yeah, I, I, this is where I've got Halliburton. I actually have Halliburton at seven here also. Um, yeah, I think that everything that you touched on, this is another guy that to me is going to be an elite role player in the league. Uh, you mentioned the strength. I also – don't like his shot off the dribble. I don't think he's doing any creating for himself, um, really, like the finishing around the rim. He didn't get to the rim that much. I don't like his shot off the dribble that much, but I think that, for example, like I've fallen in love with the Atlanta fit, where he's just a secondary playmaker, a guy that's asked to make decisions extremely quickly. I think he's really good at that, but he's not the sole um, initiator of the offense. Uh, I don't think he, that he is that. Again, this is a guy that I think is just elite role player, that he has a really good chance of hitting that. And in this tier, I have, you know, their upside swings and then a bit of the safer picks. Halliburton clearly falls into the latter. Um, yeah, I mean, everything that you touched on, I think I I really like what you're getting from Halliburton here, and I'm pretty confident in him being a, um impactful two-guard in, in this league for a little while. Yeah, I think he's really fun, and I I really do think he could be a one or a two, depending on the scenario, depending if he's starting or or whatnot. Flexible, good good player. I think 
good fit on pretty much any team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if, if you have, um, I have, I can go into a guy at eight. I think we're, it's going to be another conflict. So I don't know if you have a guy at eight that you feel like we'll agree on. No, it's going to be a conflict for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, oh, it's going to be the other guy. That, yeah, right, yeah, you already one. know. <laughs> do, do that one, and and we'll yeah, we'll, I can get back to the same conversation. Yeah, the other guy, Denny Avia, um, I have sitting here at number eight, and this is interesting to me because this is going to be one of those things. It's going to be uh, I'm going to be keeping a close eye on because it's a jack of all trades. And there is a really good feel for the game that he has. You know, playmaking at 6'9 is really valuable. A lot of his value is going to revolve around being 6'9 and just doing everything well for the most part. Um, I'm sure you're going to point out a very worrisome free throw percentage. I've kind of come around to, like, this might just be in his head. And I know that's a lot to bet on. Say that again? Greatness. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, and, you know, it's so hard to say that. Um, but, like, the three-point percentage isn't terrible. He's shown I, – I do like the form. I'm far from a form doctor or a shot doctor. Um, but I, I like what I see there, and I think that from what I read that he's an extremely hard worker. Again, this is a guy where it's hard for me because I don't know how to feel about a jack-of-all-trades that doesn't have, like, one clear skill that I think is just, like, translating 100%. So maybe just a different game in the NBA. This doesn't work out for him. But I think that the the upside of Denny as a 6'9 creator that genuinely does everything at a – you know, slightly above average level, I, I think that there's a lot of value in that. So, okay. It's the same conversation we're having about Okoro. I don't – I'm unwilling to say that a player that's like a career 30% shooter from three and a career 50% shooter from the free throw line is going to be a good shooter. And everyone thinks this. And the for, so the form actually looks really good, right? I don't know what I like more, good form or bad form, because you can look at bad form and be like, okay, well, we'll teach him good form. And then... That's interesting. Yeah, well, there's this old adage, like, it's it, some people don't like this. I brought this up about Denny, and they've been really salty about it. But there's this old adage of you have two, it's like about a baseball scout, and there's two players that are exactly the same in every way, um, that the same speed, right? So that they're, you're, you're evaluating them for base running. They run the bases at the exact same speed. One has good form, one has bad form. And most people would say, all right, take the guy with good form. Like, yeah, they're equal, but you want the guy that, that has better form. And it's actually the opposite in this, in this analogy that you, you want the guy, if, they're, if they are producing at the same level and one has correctable issues, you choose the guy with the correctable issues. So right. I actually don't know that it's a great sign that Denny has great form because, like, how much more are you improving it at that point? Yeah, like, if he just has bad touch, he just has bad touch. Yeah. I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me, and another thing that was a little um, concerning to me was that he played 
he played to the level of his competition. Like, all of his good games came against the lower-level opponents, and the poor ones came against the actual good teams in the in the EuroLeague that he's in. Um, and, you know, every night in the NBA you're playing against a pretty good team out there. But part of that also to me is why I buy a little bit of maybe this is a confidence thing because it, it's in your head when you're going against these elite rosters. And, again, you're going to be doing that in the NBA. But, you know, does he have a – is this a guy where it takes a stretch of – you know, 10 games of shooting the ball well, and then all of a sudden it's there for a while. Like, maybe he's just streaky, um, and I don't know what to make of that player. But, yeah, I think that – I think there's reasons to buy the shot, even if I don't feel great about it. Um, And, yeah, I think, again, I don't know how to feel about doing a little bit of everything, doing nothing great, but the size that he has, the playmaking at that size – um, if the shooting comes around, I like the on and off ball defense. Like I, I think there's something here. Yeah, I just am not. I don't. I don't like players that are all around guys. Um, I think you need something to hang your hat on. That's actually why I have the Coro higher than Denny. So yeah, I think you guys know who I'm going to be talking about at the end of this podcast because they're both down there. But. I like Okoro's strength and ability to be a lockdown defender better. Like, it at least feels like something I can hang my hat on. I think Denny is, like, a thoroughly average athlete. There's nothing special about his physical body compared to other NBA physical bodies. Um, Like, the best thing you'd point to is, well, he's a great passer for his position. But, like, you're always qualifying that because he's not going to run your offense either. Like, I don't – I don't think you want the ball in Denny's hands all the time. Like, maybe he's your second or third guy. I don't even think there's even a high chance he's, like, your second initiator. Like, he's fine as a, as a, as a yeah, secondary tertiary option. Fine. But, like, if that's, like, your best skill, I don't, I don't know, man. Um, I don't like the fact that he basically has no additional wingspan. Like, he's, a, he's like, a flat height to wingspan guy. There's concerns that, like, his wingspan is 6'9". It's hard to get a good read on that. There's no combine, and he's an international guy to begin with. But from what I've seen, people are saying, like, you know, 6'9 height, 6'9 wingspan. Um, that generally doesn't doesn't project for a great defensive player. Who exactly are is the competition he's been defending? I, you know, That's I mean, yeah. it's difficult. It's difficult to equate. It's, I mean, it's not even – about predicting the, the NBA because there's always changes, but like I'd like to see him defend the same guys that, you know, that we, the all the all the other college prospects that we've seen defend. Um, yeah, it's difficult. I think he's pretty switchable-ish, but like, is he even a great defender? I don't think so. I, I the narrative scares me on this guy. It's like, you know, professional, high IQ, uh, well balanced skills like in all areas but I'm like what's special about him again I, I really don't honestly I I'm, must be missing it I just don't I don't get it yeah I don't think there's anything special like I, I don't think you're wrong there um like two guys that you know there's differences obviously and I think comparing people to Middleton has gotten a little ridiculous because he's just like an outlier of like the most extreme elite role player. He's probably like 
so elite role player to the point where he was an all-star this year. Um, but, you know, there's that in, like, a Tobias Harris sort of thing. I could see potentially being a Denny type of role. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I think that there's I, I think there's a possibility here. And, like, as I think about it, like, I probably should have him a little lower than these other two guys I have in this tier. Um, but, again, there's not too much of a gap between them. Um, because you're right, like, the floor for Denny is pretty bad. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I'm sticking to Denny here at 8 because I, I do buy the upside of it a little bit. Again, I have my ceiling and floor guys within this tier, and Denny clearly is one of the ceiling ones. Um, if you think that, yeah, I mean, and the ceiling for him is also an elite role player. Why is he not Dario Saric without a shot? I mean, I think that he moves better than Saric. I think that Denny um, is a better athlete than Saric than, than you're giving him credit for, like Denny in a straight line specifically. It is pretty quick. I think he gets off the floor better than Saric. Um, I, I like the defense of Denny better. So I, I think it's actually the athleticism there. Okay. I, I, you, you're, I think you're right that he's a much better athlete than Saric, but I also think that he's still not a great athlete. So I think he's like a very average athlete in this draft class. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I don't feel great um, thinking this through now. Like, he should not be in the same tiers as Vassell. There's no way. Oh, that's interesting. So just to reiterate your tiers, I think I... Yeah, I'm still in a big tier two here. I just finished... Oh, I have one more guy in my tier. Because, well, like, part of this to me is that, like, again, like... Could I see Chicago, for example, at four, picking Denny over Vassell? Like, I, I could, and obviously, well, like, there's a difference between I could see it like a mock and big board, and, and I wouldn't hate it. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily what I would do, but I think you could justify it, and that's kind of how I did these tiers again. Yeah, it's interesting. I have so much space between Vassell and Avija on my board. It's like, Truly a tremendous amount of space, and I think, yeah, I'm just going over my notes here to to look for the significant distance, the differences. So, shooting obviously is like a massive difference between the two of them. I like Vassell as an on-ball defender way more as well. Yeah. So, like those are probably the two biggest things where I'm like, I mean, and honestly, that's three and D. Like that's that's what makes you three and D to, you know, question mark. Yeah, I would say the shooting off the dribble and creating for other, I think it's just about how teams value that, which I think is is pretty valuable in this league. Um, I agree with you. Like, I like Vassell better. And where I caught myself was saying that, you know, Denny Sealing is probably an elite role player. And I think that that's also Vassell's, and Vassell also has a much better floor. So that's where I'm kind of feeling like these guys should be in separate tiers. Um but, yeah, I mean, we'll edit this at some point, and I'm sure get back to another big board. So so right now we are smack dab in the middle. We You've done eight, and I've done seven, so that means we're halfway through our top 15 big board. Do you want to cut the episode here, considering we've done an hour and 15 minutes? Oh, wow. Cut it here. We, will, we can keep rolling if you don't have anything planned, and we can do the back half, but maybe make it two episodes. Let's do it. I think that's a good idea. All right, give that outro, and we'll take a short break, and we'll just jump back 
Joined by Famous Part 2. There we go, yeah. Um, you'll see Bryant West's great work covering these guys. We've done mock drafts and the whole team at King's Herald doing work covering the draft. So be sure to uh, subscribe to their Patreon to support independent Kings coverage and check out their site as well. And if you enjoyed this episode, uh, like we said, the second part of this will be out in the next couple of days here. So stay tuned and thanks to everybody for listening. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball and Basketball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion, we'll go with six-time NBA champion, Robert Ory. See what they had to say and what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.